Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Something's lurking at the edge of the park. People be warned, people beware. There's a storm on the rise and it's covered in hair. Hear him cry, hear him howl. Looking for someone to disembowel. Claws like a hook, eyes like coal. Feet so big they're gonna crush your soul. They call him Sasquatch. This is Yowie Central. Welcome to the show. I'm Sarah. Here at Yowie Central, we explore the latest on Yowie research in Australia. We hear Yowie witness testimonies and we talk to seriously dedicated researchers out there. And because I've always been obsessed with anything and everything to do with mysterious phenomena... We dive headfirst into all the rabbit holes I can find. Paranormal encounters, UFOs and alien abductions, cryptid creatures, orbs, psychics and anything else strange and mysterious. The Bigfoot Yowie Hairy Man phenomena is reported from many countries all around the world, on every continent except Antarctica. My very special guest today, Deborah Hatswell, saw a wild man of the woods at the age of 15 and was so terrified and perplexed about what she saw that she has dedicated her life to researching the phenomena around the world, investigating reports and hearing witness testimonies from the UK and all around the world. She has taken over 4,000 reports of our hairy friends in the UK and internationally and is dedicated to providing support and linking up witnesses to other witnesses so that they don't feel so alone and they have somewhere to share their story with people who won't mock or ridicule them. 
I am delighted to share this fascinating chat with the lovely, kind-hearted Deborah Hatswell of Being Believed Research. Here she is. So I I reached out to you, as I said in my email, I reached out to you because a lovely man contacted Australian Yowie Research, actually, who I work with as well. And um, because Australian Yowie Research focuses on uh, the Australian Yowie, the yes. Australian hairy man phenomena, I thought I would have a chat to to mm. this man. You listened to the uh, the interview that I that I sent you. He yes. told me about this incredible Bigfoot like creature that he saw in Salford, which is where yes. you are, isn't it? It is. It's it's, it's extraordinary. I know um, you'd be amazed how many people across the world that will say to me, "I've travelled. I've gone to Canada. I've been to you know looking for the Yarin. I've I've gone looking for the hairy man in Alaska. And here's you in England in this really tiny town in the north. We're on the northwest coast. So if I walked straight from my house, the next island I'd come to would be Island itself. So we're chucked up in that bit there. And there's a mountain range that runs right through the middle of England, like a spine. It's called the Pennines, and that's where I live. Um, and you wouldn't. It is not the type of place that anybody should be seeing Bigfoot-like creatures. And the only way I can explain that is it's a typical mill town there. The biggest employers would be the mills, the pit. But we're in a very strange situation. We're actually an inland port. So where we live, I live probably about two miles in elevation above your witness, and he lives probably about a mile in elevation above the, 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 where the, the rivers converge. So that leaves you with a lot of river valleys. Oh, yes. And you tend to find with cryptid reports, and I think it's the same in Australia, that they tend to stick to the waterways mm-hmm. and the estuaries because they need water. Anything that lives on the earth needs water. That's always a good place to start looking. Um, if you're interested in investigating, I didn't know any of that. I was 15 when it happened to me. Um Dad worked at the local brewery. Mum worked three jobs. Really normal 15-year-old girl. Um, had no knowledge of Bigfoot, Sasquatch, anything like that whatsoever. And if you can imagine, I'm sure you've seen them on the television, if you're very, very rich in England, you get these huge palatial mansions that have like their own grounds and then woodlands and lakes and streams and all of this. And where I lived, it was a smaller version of that. It's an old Edwardian Georgian mansion. And it had been left to wreck and ruin. Um, nobody lived in it anymore. So, like, the gardens had overgrown. And you'd get rhododendron bushes that were about foot, 40 foot in the air, full of iber. And we should have been in school, me and my friend. And we weren't, didn't want to go in in the afternoon, being perfectly honest. And we... There was a den, what we call a den, and it, what I meant by that is it's kind of like, you know when um, something gets left and it's left for years and the ivy entwines it, but you can get in there. Yeah. We'd sneak in there and hide from school. Our school looked like Harry Potter. It was that old. It was an old Edwardian school. That's exactly what it looked like. So the library was actually the library of the house that the school used to be. 
to your uh, servants' quarters and things like that. It's absolutely, it sounds crackers, I know, but that's what it was like. So we lay down and we're chatting. I think it was about May because I remember it was really warm and it was breezy and we were just laughing. We were laid down on the ground and we were talking and we were laughing. And I caught a movement out of the corner of my eye. Not a large movement, just a, I don't know, just caught something on my peripheral vision. And as I looked at the bush, I made eye contact with something. And I know that sounds absolutely ridiculous, but I did. And as I was trying to process that thought, I thought it was going to be a teacher and we were caught because we should have been in school. <laughs> and I think the second thought was maybe it was a lad, you know, that was going to jump out and get us. Hmm. And this thing, I don't I even know, I didn't have a word for it back then. It leant out of the bushes from its mid-chest up and just looked at me. And I'm going to be really honest here. I wasn't brave. I didn't do anything that people think that you would do. I pushed my friend down onto the floor harder so that it would get her. And I got <laughs> up on my feet and I ran. And that is the honest truth. That's what I did. I did. And I looked back, not to see if she was okay. I looked back to see if he was coming after me. And she was up and running in the opposite direction. And he just leant back into the greenery. And he was gone. What did you say? And that's impossible. He just, he, he was gone. He was just completely gone. But when I looked at him, the splits, the small amount of time that I had, I will never forget that face, ever. It's haunted me for 40 years. I'm 55 this year, so it's like 40 years for me since it happened. And I have devoted my entire life to it, believe me. Yeah. He, he looked like a man and an ape pushed together. And I can't give a really great description of him. He had very, very thick jaw muscles. Human teeth, not no canines or anything like that, square human teeth, normal mouth. His nose looked like a boxer, as if he'd been punched in it a number of times. It was like flat to his face and wide. Um, really thick brow ridge. Hair covered, but you could see his skin through it, but it was thick hair. Um, almost black uh, a brown but where the sun was hitting it it was kind of a reddish glow to it his eyes were amber like a like the stone tiger's eye uh, and that's mostly what i remember him i didn't see arms legs feet anything like that I just saw him from the chest up um and i ran right i just ran i don't remember about 20 minutes after that the next thing i remember is coming to on the motorway so like the freeway as you'd call it and thinking, oh, my God, I can't cross here because I would have had to go through another green area. And my instant thought was, what if there's more in there? Because it wasn't, I didn't know what it was. I didn't, I had nothing to reference it to. There's nothing in the UK bigger than a deer. So I can't mix it up with a bear. There's, it's not yeah. a man in a suit. It's not a homeless man. He was huge. My dad was a big, burly man and he used to be a street fighter. And he could have just picked my dad up and threw him. And that I, I honestly thought he was going to reach out of the bush and grab us and do whatever it was you do to 15-year-old girls. That's how terrifying it was. Um, and I had to go back the next day because that was my school. And it, that really affected me. I had another, I think I had uh, probably another six, eight months of school until I left at 16. And I had to go every day. And it really affected me mental health, I'll be honest. 
and back then I just stayed I went I stayed in my bed for about three days just crying and my mum just kept telling me it was just an homeless man and I was being dramatic and it was all in me I thought he was going to come for me I thought he was behind every bush and every tree and up to that point every weekend and every school holiday of my life I'd either be in that park playing or out in somewhere with my parents. My dad would be fishing, we'd be running around in the woods. I couldn't do it again after that event. And it took me 25 years to find the rest of the witnesses. There's about eight witnesses now in my town. But back then I didn't have that. I had nothing, I had nothing to reference it to. No internet. So what do you do? Where do you look? Um, I got on CB radio. Because I live in a place, in one of the highest places in England, there's a massive radio mast. So I just started asking truckers if they'd seen anything weird on the road or, you know, radio hams, anything. Uh, write to newspapers, go on anything I could think of just to... So somebody would say to me, oh, I know what that was. It was just... And then I could put it to bed and, and walk away from it. And that's never happened. Just never happened. And that's led on to, uh, I, I was uh, reading on your site, you've interviewed, uh, was it over a, over 4,000 people about yeah, wild man reports in the UK? Yes, at least. Well, all over the world. It's become international for me now. Um, it, when I, back then when I started, all I was looking for was anything that was humanoid in shape, was hair covered, was about seven feet tall. What what your typical Yowie description, really, yeah, a big foot yeah. Sasquatch description, really, really typical. And in the UK, they come in the same. Some come in with this typical North American, typical Sasquatch, wide shoulders, thin build. But you also get the reports of, like, it was almost caveman-like or Neanderthal-like. Mm-hmm. And I think that runs true for every country where you have Bigfoot reports. And that, I think, is A, different regional variations. And what the witness decides for themselves, what they've seen. Yeah. So, you know, they can say, for me, it was a caveman, or for me, it was an ape man. So I'd find odd reports, but honestly, it'd protect me. I probably, I'd be lucky if I get one in five years. But I did find them. Um, by about 2005... It was about 11 of us, which I know sounds ridiculous, but for, on a small island for another 10 people to say, you know what, I've seen that, and go into it and, and be as passionate about it as me, to the extent where we've built what we've built all on our own money. We don't get funded by anybody. So what we do and what I do now is, I, I'm going to be honest, for me, it was 25 years of ill health, just couldn't get away from it, terrified of it. I, I reckon, I don't know, I'd have nightmares, I'd wake up screaming, I couldn't go on holiday with the kids, I couldn't go camping, I couldn't do anything. And I was miserable, I was absolutely miserable. And I say this, I had an accident in 2006 and it was probably the best thing that happened to me because I really started to appreciate the small things in life. But my mobility was absolutely shot and it, and it still is now, so... That I used that time to find other witnesses because then you could go online, you see. So I'd go through forums and anywhere I could think of, hunting forums, fishing forums, camping forums. And I found some really legitimate witnesses. Um, an example, if you don't mind me giving it, yeah, 
everybody knows Scotland is a vast and barren place and there's a young girl who's eight and her grandmother lives in the middle of a forestation plantation and she has to go about a mile down the road um down the farm lane really to get the post and and to pick like the dog food up and stuff and as she's walking down that lane the dog starts to react first she didn't see it at first she just said the dog started barking and going mad and that's unusual even at a fox she wouldn't make that much of a racket and she said and there was this thing stood there and he had its back to me and he was completely hair covered his brown hair and he looked like a like a bear stood on two legs no ears on top of his head and he had hold of a leaf on the branch of the tree and he was examining it and she was terrified and, and, and rightly so and ran back home and she said there was another time we were picking raspberries in the valley and this big long howl came up the valley and all of the adults stopped. We packed up everything we had and we went back and somebody mentioned the ginger ra and that was kind of the local name for it. So in Scotland, that's probably something that's big and ginger goes, ah, yes. for it to be the ginger ra, yes. exactly. And then she said one night we were in the car coming back home and it was dusk and it was stood in the middle of the road stood there and she said it didn't care that we saw it it just really didn't care and she was frightened and really frightened and she's an academic now she studied the hominid side of the human race early man because she believes that what we're dealing with is a brother or a cousin of man one of the early hominids and i mean that really fits with my theory as well i'll be honest charmaine fraser her name is um and she allowed me to interview her not so long ago i think it was about five years ago something like that and we were finishing each other's sentences <laughs> because she'd gone through exactly the same thing as me but she was only eight i was 15 she was only eight and, and the youngest witness i found is six the young girl of six yeah. she's in her 50s now but yeah that is absolutely fascinating i'm i'm it was interesting when paul contacted me about his salford sighting he he was explaining how shocked he was that he, the whole situation but then getting online and trying to find out some information about what it might have been and then discovered that and thinking <laughs> and thinking that there's no way that a bigfoot uh, hairy man like creature exists in the UK it's there's too many people it's too populated not enough wild areas etc but it's yeah. that's not it's not that doesn't hold water it's actually they're they're being seen in the UK like they're being seen everywhere around the world. Yeah. This less than the, the the government put out figures in 2018. Less than 10% of the UK is urban and that includes roads, hospitals, schools. Right. So you've got 90% of unused what we call green belt land. We live in conurbations or really small towns. And in between them, obviously we get big cities like Manchester, London, Birmingham, don't get me wrong. But all around them, you have the river valleys. And you could get from, it was one of the early things that, Charmaine, can I get from here to Angus in Scotland by avoiding every town? Well, yeah, I can. If I use all of the green corridors and the rivers, I could do it without being seen. I used to like get my husband to do it. Well, I'd say, can you get from here? 
to where I saw that thing without being seen. And he'd do it for me. And then he'd phone me and he'd say, I've done it, I've not seen it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you know, oh, that's how obsessed I was. I've sat in uh, the things I have done, you would not believe. <laughs> I wanted to understand why. And you might notice because you've interviewed witnesses to Bigfoot, Sasquatch, and Yawa. Yeah. Rhododendron bushes seem to play in for some reason. They always turn up in your investigation areas. And you, you, the early Tibetans used them for um, to move. They said that they could move between between realms by using them. But I wanted to see what it was like within them. So one day I put on the brightest clothes that I could. It was kind of an experiment because people say there is not enough land in the UK. There are too many people out there. So I put on the brightest clothes I could find and I got in a rhododendron bush <laughs> and people walked past me all day long. And even the dogs didn't come and sniff me ah. I could see out but they couldn't see in and I did it in the snow and it wasn't snowy in the bush it was a good five six degrees warmer and I thought are they using them for shelter is that the significance of them because in the UK some of them are 40 50 feet high right on the side of huge embankments you know it'd be ideal to I mean if we're dealing with a flesh and blood animal we need water food Habitat and shelter, you know. So I've got to prove all of those things, haven't I? Well, that's what I felt like because I was a witness. Like Paul said, even if we'd seen, me and Paul had seen something in the middle of the Forest of Dean, we would still have been disbelieved. So to see it in an urban area is even more impossible. But as we make bigger and bigger conurbations, as you do in Australia and America and Canada, you move further and further into their land. So you might be building on a migrationary route that's been going on 1,400 years. Suddenly there's a railway station there and a, a strip mall and, you know, they wouldn't, you wouldn't stop them. You'd, if, imagine yourself as an early human. You've got, to, you've got to have all of those things. So you'd, find, you'd adapt and overcome. You'd find a way around. Every single part of the UK is underrun with tunnels. And some of our tunnels come up in Bosnia, Portugal. Oh, really? It, the, yeah, the, wow. the possibilities are endless. I know the possibilities are absolutely endless. They could be a subterranean or using subterranean. Um, but how do you, you know? How do you go about proving that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. None of none of this is easy to prove. In fact, even if you had incontrovertible proof, there's still people who wouldn't believe you. <laughs> yeah, I find there's exactly. the, the hardcore skeptics out there. You mentioned in your in your message to me that you'd done yeah. some research around where Paul lived, and there was some uh, interesting reference to what that that area used to be used for i wondered if you could go into uh, that for the listeners yes most definitely as i said back we've got we need to go back to like the 1500s it was a mountainous place with a lot of boggy horrid swamps and nobody wanted it they just didn't want it and it's a, as a it's a place where five rivers and kind of canals meet so they just buried all of the plague victims there so you go around the streets and you ring the bell and they shout, bring out your dead. And they just put them on the carts and they take them there and tip them in. And obviously then they wanted people to build on that land and nobody had touched it. So for about 270 years, which is understandable, it was really, really hexed. Nobody would go near it. And the first wooden mansion was built on that, but that burnt down. 
So obviously that adds to the the the, the feeling of that it is an unlucky place. And then the the house that's on there now is eighteen sixty when that one was built. I took um. I took a team of investigators out with me. And for some, there's something really strange about the house, and I don't know what it is. When we were growing up, there used to be four huge stones out the front of it, and I mean like huge boulders, and one of them was obsidian. And the house is kind of linked to John Dee, who was an early alchemist in the in England around Elizabeth I's time. And he was said to have summoned a hairy demon at that place. Now... Whether it's to do with that, I don't know. But there's a really weird, strange feeling to him. So one of the investigators is into ley lines. So I said to him, could you trace and see if there's a ley? And he's, he goes, it runs right through the mansion, like right through the middle of it. Uh-huh. So I took a team of investigators out and I thought, I'm not going to tell them. I just, I said, I'm not, you know, I'm going to sit in the car and get me, catch my breath. Because I really, I'm still not overjoyed at being back there, I'll be honest. Um and they, we all had a look round, and they w- walked into it, and every one of them said they felt a bit sick and a bit dizzy and a bit almost drunk, kind of out yeah. of proportion. Then you kind of walk out of it, so it's like this weird band of energy. So I don't know if that's to do with it, but these tunnels underneath the park, and they come out in the River Valley. Ah. So you could theoretically get from the park to the River Valley and walk to Scotland without having to pass a town so well, it's it's just that kind of weird area but as you, you said yourself when you were talking about paul you you're astounded that bigfoot is here in the 1970s he's a um a guy in the park and they were they was they used to sell things you know like fizzy drinks and sandwiches and ice creams and lollies and that kind of thing and they'd meet up at the end of the day and they'd get all the money together and they'd work the wages out and then they'd go home and this guy needed to a call of nature, so he ran off into a bit more of the wooded area. And he said, as he was answering the call of nature, he saw a little hairy man that was running around trying to catch a fox. And nobody believed him. They absolutely ridiculed him. And his family member, a couple of generations down, was absolutely obsessed with Bigfoot because of it. And he didn't know anything about me or anything like that. And he's been to America, he's been to Canada. He's been all over looking. And he said, one day I'm at work and I put the radio on and there you are. Mm -hmm. And you're talking about Bigfoot and I can't believe it. And I'm thinking, she's got the same accent as me. And then I mentioned Salford and he was like, oh, my my uncle was right. (laughs) My uncle was right. And that was the first thing he said to me when I met him. And we're still friends now. And he's like, my uncle was right. And he was ridiculed all of his life for it. I was, I was ridiculed. Yeah, that's, it's, it's so sad, isn't it? So the vast majority of the people I speak to have the same, the same experience. They're ridiculed and not believed. And people think they're delusional or psychotic, you know, having an episode um, or their imagination. They must have a vivid imagination or or something like that. But (laughs) it's, it's when, when you do the work that you and I do and you talk to people directly and you, you, you can't you can't speak to in my case hundreds of people in your case thousands you can't speak to that many people who are reporting very similar things and say that they're all delusional it, it that doesn't make sense no. even if even if only 1% of the people that have come forward and i don't agree with that that number but even if it was just 1% 
Well, that leaves over 100 people who've seen a hairy man in the UK. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's good odds, you know. It's only good odds. There are thousands and thousands of witnesses to the hour. Thousands of them. Yep. So if only, you know, if only 100 or 150 people saw them, that's enough. In in scientific world, that would be enough to send a team in and do a scientific investigation. That's right. Unfortunately, you, you know, you're dealing with something that science does not recognise. I find that hard to believe because the the fossil record is pretty... It's not great. We, there's gaps in it. And you've no record of hair when it comes to fossils. Mm. So we don't know how many hominids there were on the world. We can guess and surmise from the, the fossils that we've got. But there could have been a species on this earth that made it the same as we did and just live a completely different way. And sometimes we see them. And and it could be something as simple as that. But I think even people, I honestly I thought if you lived in America, it'd be really, really easy to make a report. Americans will come to me because they'll go to people in America and be ridiculed because it doesn't fit the box. It's not correct. It's not the way it should be. No sighting is the same, as you said. When you speak to so many people, there are similarities and, and patterns that run through them in descriptions and even words that all of them use. But each sighting is individual to that person. Hmm. And yeah. sometimes it doesn't tick all the boxes. I It must have took me 20 years before and anyone in the UK, nobody in the UK would listen to me. It was an American chap called Thomas Markham in uh, America, and he listened. It, it is really interesting because comparing what you just described, what you saw as a 15-year-old, ch- is really, really similar to many of the reports I've heard, The same that same black-brown with a bit of a reddish tinge, the, mm. the square teeth that were human-looking teeth. I get yeah. that reported all the time. I do also then get reported to me... <laughs> Um, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, sir. No, no, you're right, mate. It's no drama whatsoever. I don't like something, do it? <laughs> My husband will come up in a second. <laughs> to check if you're all right. <laughs> yeah, he will. Yeah. Oh. You okay? Yeah, I've just drank about a litre of water. <laughs> it's a tiny little tickle, that's all it is. Oh, we have these terrible trees down here. Um, plain, they're plain trees, and the the these big round seed balls fall off them, and and they're they're full of little bits of fluff. If you if you happen to walk past that and accidentally breathe one of the, that tiny little bit of fluff up your nose or into your throat, half a cue, half an hour coughing fit. Um, just it's terrible oh, no. stuff. Yeah, it's awful, <laughs> and you can't get you can't stop coughing for half an hour. <laughs> oh. Not nice. My husband, my husband texts me riding. They do a bit of horse riding. So he'll have to sit in the car with all the windows up because obviously there's a lot of hay about. And, oh, yes. You, know, you get a lot of dust off horses and that, don't you? So poor, he has to stay in there and he puts oh. the, um, the AC on him and the dog while oh. he waits for me. Isn't he lovely <laughs> driving you there? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's way up. I think it's, it's the highest point in where we live and it's uh it's called winter hill because it gets a lot of snow and it's it's a mountain for us but by standards across the world it's not yeah but it is a mountain range and each witness will give you a similar description that reddish hair the the 
the human teeth, the jawline, the thick brow. Yes. Um, I've heard them described as troglodytes, mm-hmm. pro-magnums, ape men, gorilla men, wild men, cavemen. And then you have the ones that have almost like a snout. Yes. And I don't yeah, the snouted baboon look. Yes. And I think you have them in you have them in Australia as well, this Absolutely. almost baboon like snout. So and witnesses will t- say things. They'll say, I know this sounds absolutely ridiculous, but and they'll give it let me think of an example. There's a man in Yorkshire. Now when you watch the telly anywhere in the world. Yorkshire is what you imagine to England to look like. It's lots of little towns and really hilly and sheep farms and cattle farms. It's a beautiful place. And he's worked all day. And one of the things he likes to do of an evening, he's just walked the dog down the farm lane. And he said that's what he was doing. And he would be what you would class as just a working class man. He works on a building site. So just an everyday normal guy. He's in his... 30s, he's out walking the dog river and as they're walking, once again the dog starts to go mad and he said, this tree line on, on, on my left side and it's farm fields on my right and the dog's going mad at the tree line he said, and I'm looking and I can't see a fox, there's no badge, I can't see anything and I'm shouting him and he won't come back and he's going really, really mad and he said, this thing stepped out out of the tree line and just stood in the middle of of the farm lane and he said and it was covered in air from head to foot it was um really big at the shoulders really really big years and years later he said you know that thing on sasquatch chronicles i said yeah he went that's the shape of it and the typical bigfoot that you see with the big shoulders and the long arms and i said to him did you get a look at its face and he said no it, it almost kept the light behind it So it was in shadow, he said, but it did look back into the tree line as if telling something else not to step out. You know, almost like, didn't realise he was there. And he said, all this time, the dog's still going mad. It won't run at it, but it's running between him and it, which is typical for a dog in a defence mode. And he said, I don't know why I did this. I have no idea why I did this. But he touched his cap and went, all right, <laughs> like he was letting on to a man <laughs> at the football or at the pub. And he said, I don't know why I did it. I don't know why I did that. It's absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? He said, and I just I couldn't turn away from it, but he backed down the lane and he said, and the dog just turned and shot off. And when he looked back, it had gone. So it had gone back into the greenery again kind of thing. But why would he make that bit up that, all right, it's a typical Yorkshire thing that a Yorkshire man would do. Yeah. And you think that's not, it's not your typical big, now he's never mentioned the word Bigfoot. He's, he's said that years and years later. At the time when he saw it in the, in the early 90s, it was a wild man. It was a big wild man that was covered in hair and it stepped out. And you even hear that description of him keeping the light behind them at all times. Mm. So that's really strategic. So it blinds you and, and you can't see them properly. The face is always in shadow. And you'll hear that a lot. I couldn't get a facial description. Yeah. Um, you know, even though I was close, I couldn't get a facial description on it. Sorry, you go on. The, the, the lady in the park, two years after I had my sighting, 
and a lady was much older, she was in her 30s, was walking the dog. And where I'd seen him, she saw it, maybe the same one, I'm not certain, reddish-coloured hair, she had it looked like a chimp and a man combined, but she saw all of him. And she said he was clearly male, he had male parts, he was hairy from head to toe, he was completely naked, and she said he just looked at her. He just stood there and stared at her. And she said, I thought at one point he was going to run over and attack me, and he didn't. Once again, she had a dog with her. She was walking the dog. And she said, it looked like a like a man, like a chimp, like a man, like a chimp. He had a flat nose. Now, mine had a flat nose. And he, you know, she described the same thing, chin, head, the whole nine yards. And she wasted about 20 years and reported it to Thomas Markham. So, and then I come along and give me, and he's like, you two are in the same town. Did, did you know, Debbie? And I was like, I've been looking for another witness in this town for most of my life. So that was so validating for me. Yeah. All of the other witnesses that have come after have either described it as brownish red or grey. So yeah. there's seven, eight of them. And for most of them, it's been that orangey red brown colour. But a couple of them have distinctly said it was grey. It was grey haired or grey in colour. That's that's interesting. And do you think is it the same creature, but the same creature getting older and going grey, or or are they seeing different? Well, I, I thought that. I mean, you, you've got to, but there's got to be a breeding population, hasn't there? Yeah. There's a report just two miles away, and it's four men on a golf course. And you often hear of reports on golf courses. And I think it's because it's so well kept that you get a lot of small protein coming in to eat that continually fresh grass that grows. Uh-huh. That brings the deer in. It brings the protein in. Maybe it brings them in. They're playing golf and they see something in the bushes, in the rough, that's kind of following them around. They can't see it proper. And at first, they think it's someone who's going to rob them. So they're a bit suspicious of it. So there's four of them. So they're like, right, well, there's four of us. Let's just walk over there. And um, he said this thing just walked out of the bushes. It was completely hair-covered. He said it looked old. It was almost hunched in the way that it walked. And you hear that description so many times. And it was gesticulating with its hands. He said almost like sign language for them to move. And he said, my friend stepped forward. And when my friend stepped forward, it went... And something in the bushes on the left screamed. So obviously their attention was drawn to the left. Yeah. And when they look back, it was gone. That uh-huh. suggests more than more than one, yes. doesn't it? Absolutely. There's got to be two. The amount of times people say to me, it was at the back of me, and then within five seconds it was out front. And I say, have you ever considered the possibility there was more than one? We generally say, you know? um, I also work with Australian Yowie Research and do all the witness interviews uh, for Australian Yowie mm-hmm. Research. Dean Harrison has has often said where there's one, there will there will more than likely be another one. They, they're in family groups often. So mm-hmm. you might see the male more often. That is, that, that's the thing I want to say. Why do we see the males? There's so few reports of females are young. Yes. I've probably got five in the UK out of all the reports I've got. In early man, the male would leave the tribe and go and find his own mate and join her tribe. That kept the DNA clean. So are we spotting the males as they are moving through? In Devon, there's a small place, and between January and February, we get lots of 
not lots, but four reports only in that time. Are they moving through the area that time for some reason? It yes. would be the time for us in England where the first foods are coming up, the new forage. I have I just, uh, I've spoken to quite a few people who talk who live on farms out in the country and they talk about certain times of the year, same time every year, where they get activity and they will hear vocalizations and they will see them and mm-hmm. uh, and and animals will go missing from the farm, things like that, but it's at the yes. same time every year. So it makes sense that they're moving through depending on the season, depending on the food sources. It makes sense that they're moving through similar times of the year. We did that as early humans, yeah. especially here in the UK, because I studied it. I wanted to know, like, what foodstuffs are out there. I mean, I've got quite a good background. My granddad was really good at all of that. And then in England, you're only ever an hour from the coast, in all honesty. You can cross one part of the country in an hour and a half <laughs> from, south, from west to east. Every single seaweed here in the UK is edible. So... Is this why we're seeing clusters? Because you want the reason I map them, they put them on the map. The report will come in and I put a pin in the map. I want to know where it's happening and I want to know if there's any howls gone on in that area, any things gone missing on farms, have we got any strange sheep kills, that kind of thing. And so you start on the map, you start to see clusters and you see clusters around estuaries. And I'm thinking, are they moving between the coast and inland following the day as the day going to rut? Or when they come down from the hills, are they doing that? Because are the reports at that time of year? And they, yeah. And then why do they die off from about November to about January? The reports die off significantly. They're our worst winter months. Right. So our most barren times. So then maybe they're not out foraging at that point. There's nothing out there to forage, you know. I just don't know. You would notice if they were lived in the area the entire time, you would. They'd run out of rabbits and birds and you'd know it's this. You have to move on. As the early humans, we were foragers. We'd probably stay somewhere for four or five weeks and then move on. Yeah. I wonder if they hibernate like bears. What do they do? Yeah, that's another question, isn't it? Yeah, I, I I don't have any answers, but <laughs> I no, wish I did. I have more I have more questions now, Sarah, <laughs> than in the very very beginning. Absolutely, because do they? That's a valuable question. Do they hibernate? What? Can they hmm. put on enough body fat so that they would have to? You'd have to slow your metabolism completely down. Hmm. But these these little five foot four men on the Himalayas that can carry three times more than the big, that big, massive American rugby player because their body is acclimatised to that area. So Sherpas have much bigger lungs than your average human because they have to work at a much better rate than humans. Mm. They can carry three times the weight of, of, of the cells. You see little old Sherpa women with massive piles, yurts on the back, walking up hills because that's how their body's adjusted so if they are a human branch could they have adapted to living subterranean in the in the bad muses water down there we've not i mean i know people cave but we haven't mapped every system i think that would be impossible to do yeah. where are the young where are the females and the young do they have certain places where they stay and the males are are kind of guarding that area so the wood knocking the destruction the smashing of branches 
is that to move you away from that area because there's something they need to protect there because they're giving themselves away and you're thinking, why would they make that noise? Why did Patty step out onto that flood? Because it would have been a floodplain. For 150 years, that area was completely different and they'd had a massive flood. So as Patterson and Gilman came in that area, she stepped out from that wood line and walked across. And as a woman, I would suggest that there was young behind her because that is the only reason she... Why would did she not just stay there? Yeah. They wouldn't have seen her. They'd have all passed. That's such a it's such so an important she, question. Like the, uh, I interviewed someone the other day who saw a very strange creature that, and he was he was he was on a farm and he was driving a vehicle, a farm vehicle that was very very loud. He would have this being would have heard him coming from a kilometre yes. away, and yet didn't move away. Um, mm. al- allowed this this man and his and his eleven year old son to 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 see it. So. The, the only, the only, yeah. One of the ideas that comes to mind is that there's, there's a baby and, and a and a and a female somewhere nearby, and they're trying to distract your attention from, from yes. the women, uh, the women I, and children. Yeah, or just indifferent to humans. Why do they cross the road in front of cars? Yeah, <laughs> you know, you think <laughs> you stayed in the bush, no one would see you, you know. But they run across the road in front of the car. Maybe it is that. Maybe. There are situations in life where you have to take one for the team and, you know, to divert the attention away from something that's precious. And maybe that's what's going on, you know. But, I mean, we'll never know. We'll never get a definitive answer. And I'm okay with that. I really like discussing the theories behind them and what they are and where they're from and all of that. That, to me, is, I love it. I love all of that, just the, the, the possibility. I like getting people together who have different ideas. So you get some people who believe that they're, they're a spirit in nature, other people who believe that they're ET. You've got people like me who believe they're down a hominid line. When you start getting those people chatting together, it makes a fantastic conversation. Mm-hmm. Because in a lot of the world, we're saying, no, you're separate. So you're in the flesh and blood camp and you're in the spiritual camp. And, and I, I think, why? I, they might have answers that we've not listened to. That's right. And <laughs> I'm totally with you. <laughs> totally with you on that. I, I exactly come up against that. Uh, the, the the there's that two the strict two camps. There's the flesh and blood yeah. people, and then there's the the people who think they're flesh and blood, but there's also something else at play. Something uh, something yeah. stranger. Something maybe interdimensional. Uh, you know, people talk about mind speak, and they talk about them vanishing in front of their eyes. I interviewed someone just the other day who, uh, sorry, that was I, I was on my show this week, but I, I interviewed him last year. Um, he actually saw initially saw what he thought was a small, a, a, a juvenile yaoi mm-hmm. turned and had this sensation that he bet he he shouldn't look at it. Turned around and a couple of meters away is an enormous seven foot hairy yaoi who he mm-hmm. felt down to his bones, that he was not to go towards that little being, that he had to move yes. towards the big being, who then – so he kept walking and he said he was kind of on autopilot, uh, adrenaline pumping, and just kept walking mm. towards the big one. And it, as he reached the big one, it vanished from, le- from one side of the body to the other and it just appeared to fade out. Um, mm. 
So, so I, how do I you explain that? I don't know how you explain it. I've taken reports like that, lots and lots of them. Or ones where there's just um, a, a set of footprints that will just suddenly appear within the snow. Yes. We've actually got uh, four men in a car who said they could see the footprints farming. Oh, wow. But couldn't see what was making them. <laughs> we call it in England, we call it a prismatic or um, an invisible predator. Yes. So you, I get a lot of those reports. You, they can see the bushes moving and snapping not what's going through them. Yeah, we get... How do we explain that? We get those as well, yeah. You know, what are the possibilities there? Their hair is working as a kind of camouflage, it's a natural ability, or they can, in some way, change their metaphysical shape and become invisible. Is it to do um, with... I, that would be terrifying. Yes. Imagine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's scary enough seeing one, but to, to have them vanish ghost-like in front of your face um, is, is even more... I mean, is it to do with uh, vibrating electromagnetic frequency? Is it to do with vibrating at a faster, higher level so you're, you're, you're not solid matter anymore? I believe I there's something going on with the you know the TP people take photos of them like TP structures yes. and say the dens and birthing dens and I think there's not a hominid on this earth that would put themselves right next to a human path yeah. in a in a in a TP that they can't get out of. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to know why they were there. What 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 is it? So I even we even got in touch with uh, like people who work the woods and say, are you leaving these? And some of them are typical, the kids are making them. But there's this odd anomaly on some of them that if you put your phone on top of those TV structures, it will increase your battery, it increases your signal. What? And if it's honest to God, and it was a guy in America, a guy in Australia who discovered it, if you put your mobile phone on the TP structure, it'll affect the signal in some way so i got um a, an emf meter that you you know for checking electricity and things yeah. and we actually went and, and checked it and it works I, I filmed it because obviously i can't just say it and expect you to believe it and i if anybody's really really interested just get in touch with me and i'll send you the videos debbie hatswell at gmail.com so my husband i said to my husband make one see if you can do it and he and he made one and you put the phone underneath and the battery drops when you put the phone on top, the, the signal increased. And I don't know if that's just to do that it's a pyramid almost in shape, but it's affecting that ground energy somehow yeah. and, and some way. Are they able to manipulate that in the same way that animals do? Birds can fly for thousands of miles in a storm and make it all because of the, they are tuned in to the EMA of the Earth, that, Earth, that, that grid. And so are we humans. We just forget that because we very rarely walk with our feet on the ground without shoes on. Yes. But we're all connected to that grid and they would be as well. Maybe they're just really good at manipulating it. Yeah. Which is magical to us. Absolutely. It's a magical, you know. But maybe they are far more sentient than we are where they can be in two different worlds, dimensions, whatever name you want to put on it. Can they be in a physical form and also in just a pure energy form? Because we're all energy-based, aren't we, really? Mm. 
And that would That's explain... That's where my thinking goes. And mm. that, yeah, and that would explain we get reported... Uh, in fact, I'm going to have a chat with someone on the weekend who saw a the a yaoi, you know, hairy man shape, but it was all um, translucent, like in that movie, The Predator. Um, yes. So, and and we've 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 had multiple reports of that. So, is that is that what they're doing when when for us we're seeing something that's that's pixelated and, and translucent and almost not there, but you can see the outline? Is that what they're doing? Um, Possibly. Do you know what's sad about that, Sarah? People write to me about their experiences and they'll say, my experience isn't really important because I didn't see a Bigfoot. When it happened to me, I couldn't see anything. And I say, that's just as important. Mm. Because for me, ask the question to yourself. If you've got to fight something, do you want to be able to fight it and see it? Or do you want to be able to fight it and not know where it is? That's a whole new level of fear. So to me, that is just as important, if not more so, than seeing a physical being. It's a whole new level of terror. And I say that to them. And then I say, do you know how brave you are? Because you got up the next morning, got your shoes on and carried on. There's not many people can do that after being almost herded out of an area by something or more than one something. And to say, mine's not important because I didn't see it. Oh, it is. Oh, it is. Because if what we're dealing with is elusive, then you shouldn't be seeing it. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. So is it a natural camouflage? Is it just being a, a, like a ninja of the woods, the masters of their environment? I think it might be a combination of lots of things, Sarah. And yeah. Well, we, hear so, we have so know, many reports of them moving through the forest with all sorts of leaf litter and bro- dried sticks and leaves and shrubs and all that sort of stuff on the on the forest floor, and they seemingly they seemingly move without making any noise whatsoever. Yeah, and it's it's, it's it's just it's an amazing when you start to to think how they live, but then you look at Amazon tribes, look at some of the tribes in the world, they're kind of leaving the same glyphs that we're finding these smaller. Like, I don't know, I would describe them as pointing a direction, like this is the way I went kind of thing. Yes. Amazon tribes do that when they're hunting, they've been moving through an area. They'll leave a mark. You, you do it yourself if you're hiking, you know, you, you swat up a tree or something so you know which way you're going. I think it's that on a much grander level. So basically, we, you know, we're going this way, there's food this way, there's day this way, whatever, or there's water this way. A lot of those pinned arches that you see, if you start to ask people, the end that was pinned, did it point to water? And nine times out of ten, they'll say, yeah. So go. it's that basic arch that's pinned down by a log or some very intricate work goes on with them. Is you know, can't be nature. You're looking at it, you're thinking, that's not weather related. It's not anything related. Does it point to water? Yeah, it does point to water. Is that a sign for water is this way? I don't know. I've just spent 40 years trying to find an answer to all of that. <laughs> a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. 
The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. <laughs> so you're, you, you started, it's Being Believed Research is your organization. You started that yeah. many years ago now. Do you want to tell the Yowie Central listeners a little bit about your your organisation and what you do and where they yeah, can where they can find you if they want to check out your show? It's re- really really easy to find me. I just do everything under Deborah Hatswell. So you put Deborah Hatswell in Bigfoot, I will pop up. <laughs> so my, my vlogs, my websites, all of that. I run now run an international investigation team. So if there we only have about three people in Australia that are helping us at the moment. Back in the day, when I started doing what I was doing, my passion was finding other witnesses because I know what it's like to be out there alone. But my other passion is investigating cases and helping witnesses. So I set it up in England and it's spread. It's gone global. So as a report comes in, so if I got a report from Australia, I could message somebody that could go to that area, possibly meet that witness, speak to them and and film if, if possible. Anywhere on that spectrum, really. Sometimes the witnesses just want to talk in email. But I think it's a lot easier for them to talk to a fellow countryman. So somebody in Germany is going to find it much easier to speak to somebody in Germany about a subject they both understand. And I'd like to be able to do that everywhere. So don't feel that because you're not in England that you can't get in touch. We do fortnightly live feeds so that everybody can talk to each other. We get people from New Zealand, Japan... Finland, you name it, they they tune in and they have conversations because talking to somebody about a subject you enjoy yourself without getting the side eye or the, you believe in what? (laughs) It's really refreshing. It really is refreshing. (laughs) And what I also like to do is like your channel, I will share your channel now with the Brits and I'll say, come on, get on there, look through the comments, let's see if anybody said I had a really weird experience because a lot of comments get missed on all social media. Yes. It just happens. That's how it happens. So you'll also get then, we'll get people online who'll say, Deb, do you mind if I go and look like down historic? No, whatever you want to do, run with it. If you like podcasting, get a podcast out there. You know, do whatever you think you can do to further the subject. Because the more people we bring in, the more information we're going to get. That's right. And eventually, we'll be able to put all those pieces of the puzzles together. So in England, now, we once a month, we just turn up. In, we'll tell them where we're going to be. We'll turn up. We have, like, uh, we get the kettle on. We make everybody a cup of tea. We have a bit of cake. And we'll I'll tell them all of the reports that are in that area. So I'll say, you know, there was a dogman case here in 1972, and this is the witness, and that witness will talk about their encounter. But there'll be other people there, Sarah, who are not happy to talk about it, but they'll give me the wink and then I'll say, right, we have a witness who... So I don't let on it's them, but I give them their report. And then you'll see them open up as other people go, well, it wasn't exactly like that for me, but this is what happened. And within half an hour, they're all best friends. They're swapping numbers. 
they're WhatsApping each other <laughs> and you think they've got people to run their ideas off. Yeah. yeah. You know, like like me and you have, have chatted tonight. That's all they want. They just want somebody who goes, I know exactly what that feels like. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe yeah. you. And I, I, I find that's part of my passion for doing this as well as being obsessed like you with and, and mm. we're just full of curiosity about these incredible beings and what what they are and and what people are experiencing out there my my other uh my other passion, passion. with re, with regards yeah. to this subject is giving people a forum where they where they're safe to talk about what happened to them and they're not ridiculed and uh mm. and they're believed as you said, there's that isn't it's just that that feeling of complete relaxation when you're with people who who know what we do. Uh, yes. To to then be able to talk about it without fear of of being laughed at is is priceless, really. So, uh, I think that the work that that you do and that that I do and that other people doing doing what yes. we do is so important to destigmatize that this subject. To, to yes, it's, it's invaluable. And it's the other thing that you ha- that you may not have thought about. If you didn't take these stories, they would go into obscurity. Yes. So all of this law, as people we talk about in the olden days, we have this law. You make that by passing around your stories. We've always told stories as humans, right from when we were in caves. So I will find, and you will find that you will speak to people around the world. And if you hadn't taken that report, it would have just gotten forgotten about. Yeah. And that's just a crime in itself, isn't it? And every person on this earth has a story within them. You know, not all of them about Bigfoot. I don't mean like that. But we all have a story. Mm. And our story affects each other human as we meet each other. And I'm really big on, like, positive energy and the fact that I believe people meet for a reason. I really do believe that. I remember what it was like to be scared back then. I would drink to forget about it. I'd go nightclubbing because it was just crackers. Anything I could do <laughs> to just not think about that bloody face. And I think, I don't want anyone else out there sat feeling like that. It's not what I want. I want to say to them, come here, you found your tribe. Yeah. You know, it's going to get better. You will be able to go back out in the woods. I promise you that. Eventually, I can't give you a date on it. But eventually you will sit with me in the woods and we'll have a cup of tea together and we'll be fine. <laughs> and that's my goal. That's what pushes me forward. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you mentioned before that someone mentioned that the, the, the little hairy man chasing after the fox. Mm-hmm. We have the, the original Australians talk about here in Australia two different beings. They're separate entities, the big fella and the little fella. And we're talking about they're both... Mm-hmm both hairy man, wild man looking creatures, but one of them is smaller and uh, perhaps more of a spiritual realm. Some of the the original Australians talk about them being um, maybe more dangerous than the big ones and and quite mischievous Mm. and more involved with the spirit realm. But they they definitely talk about two separate entities. Do you have – have you noticed that in the UK where – you might have a, a fully grown being, but it's a small being. Are they, are they spoken about as separate to the the, yeah. the the tall, hairy, wild man? In the UK, we have these little hairy folk, little brown hairy folk, and they're mischievous and a bit mean. 
And if you don't leave them a gift outside at night, they'll steal hay from your barn or curdle your milk, that kind of thing. And I think back in history, because we had no understanding, really, of obviously Bigfoot today, I wonder if that's some kind of, you know, little hairy thing with big feet. To me, sounds like a tiny Bigfoot. But they're not really nice. <clears throat> they're very mischievous, as I say. Um, some people talk about them being mean to horses and things like that. Right. I think every country in the world, you go to Hawaii, they talk about the big man and the little mini hoona. Oh. It was a very similar thing that's small. Same in Japan, you have the Hibijon and the Inkadu. So I think it follows through most cultures. So That's really if you look at you, yeah, you look at humans, none of us look the same. None of us. We just don't look the same. I don't look the same as a, a Native American, as you don't look the same as somebody from Poland. We have these regional and DNA differences. So I wonder if we've got two different beings. For all they look similar, that they've got this hair and... I think they might be different, though, because you don't tend to see them together. So I think when you give the sighting before of the, the, the man with a tall creature and a small one, I think that's a case of parent and juvenile, because we have those in the UK where they say it looked like his son or it was like a father and a son together, almost teenage-like, not as hairy, but then quite separately, these hairy little creatures. They'll call them bull beggars. Boggarts, um, lots and lots of regional names for them. So depending on where you are in the country. And another thing we have, Sarah, is a shuck in the UK. And that tends to be, people will call it like the black dog or the phantom dog. Uh -huh. But you'll get monkey-faced shucks. And you uh -huh. ask what the description is. They're down on all fours. They're completely hair-covered with a face like a monkey. It's... At times, <laughs> they call it almost a boom-like. So... There's no mention of Bigfoot or anything like that. It's this, like I say, down on all fours. They haven't got a name for it. They call it a shuck. So it just goes into history as this dog-like creature. But how do you have a dog that looks like a monkey? That's really, this, this, it's really bizarre. Mm. I've, I've just interviewed someone the other day who it reported, and he felt, he even said in his email, I feel really uncomfortable and I've been avoiding kind of describing this because it sounds completely mad so the creature that he saw had the the sort of a uh, he could see a brow and a, and a bit of yes. the nose and so it had that ape-like face it was nighttime too so he couldn't see it um and he had a torch but mm -hmm. he couldn't see it entirely but he did not see the brow yeah. ridge and the nose it's on all fours completely flat square wide back it's hairy but the the legs seem to be quite short Shortish. Mm -hmm. The back legs had a um, a backwards jointed knee, so knee, like, yeah. like a so. dog's ankle. Um, yes. So when you were just talking about a monkey face shark, I I suddenly got the picture yeah. of this being that this this man I spoke to the other day was talking about, uh, kind of with with the backward facing knee and on all fours. It's a bit more dog like or dogish like, yeah. but it had this head that certainly wasn't dog-like isn't that that's a really strange 
What a strange I being to see. I've, I know, but I've taken quite a few reports like that. Right. I'll tell you something else as well that, that popped up for me from what you've just said. The reports of them on the belly, belly crawling. Yes. They literally like will drop down to the belly in a sec. So someone will say one minute it was stood there and the next minute it, it dropped to its belly and it crawled out backwards. That is horrifying. Yeah, and this that, I'd be, yeah, <laughs> yes. I'd be running in the opposite direction if that were you know if that were me. We've had but yeah, that that's, sounds the same as what you're seeing, isn't it? Really. And the description of this being moving, we've had this a few times too. Was that it dropped? It's dropped quite low, but the limbs are out like a spider or yeah. a starfish, yes. and it moves like a spider. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, yes. exactly the same. Isn't it mm. interesting that you get the same reports over there? Wow. Yeah, and that's always fascinated me. Back before the internet, way back in time, we've all got this. What we every single country in the world, Russia, everywhere, have this. The wood woos it was for the UK. Mm-hmm. We've always had a history of a hairy man. It's just not taught in schools. No, the wood woose has been in the UK for most of our lives. We have carvings of them. They're in churches. They're everywhere. But we never put them together. Described as like a, a hairy figure, a caretaker of the woods, <laughs> you know. But this is just not something we taught. So it even came as quite a shock to me when I stumbled on them. Like, oh my god, these historical reports. Like, I didn't even under- really realise that. Um, and it really did come. And then I thought, how? How in the 14th century are people in England reporting this being that looks the same as somebody else is reporting on a continent thousands of miles away when they can't have a conversation? They've got to be real. In all tales, there is a medicum of truth, they say, don't they? If a man in Russia is telling the same tales in the 13th century that somebody in England is telling, they are seeing the same thing. Indeed. It just blows my mind that we've there is a creature out there then that that is on all fours but has the ability to move like a spider, which is yes. like a, like the locomotion and the way that body must be put together and, and is is so strange. Uh and and it's and I at first I was thinking, oh maybe maybe it had a, a physical uh, deformity, so some kind of disability, and, yeah. and it had um, double jointed knees or something like that. But mm. it doesn't. We've got now got several reports of this spider-like all fours movement, yeah. and you're just confirming something like that too. With a, mm. a, 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 I, I, yeah, it's it's so strange, but it clearly, really, really but clearly, uh, people. Uh, certainly in Australia and the UK, are seeing something similar. And I, I think, if I remember correctly, that spider-like all-fours movement has been reported in the United States as well, if I remember correctly. Well, I, yeah, yeah, I was just going to confirm that for yeah. you. I've got a case in England where the chap describes that it crawled across. He kept saying it had to be a cat. He didn't have a tail, though, but it had to be a cat. But it crawled across the road and it's Bella. But it had to be a cat because what else could it have been? So this thing crawled across in front of the, the Land Rover. He's got the lights on low. It's crawled across the path. So then I get a chap from Wales who says to me, do you remember the, the, the cartoon, the Flintstones? Fred Flintstone used to do it. He'd drop down onto our floors and he'd do that. Yes, and he'd yes. walk on his fingers and toes. Yes. Yeah? That's how he described it. 
About four months after that, a, a chap gets in touch with me from BC and says, you're not going to believe this. You're just not going to believe this. But I've been out hunting and there was something at the back of a tree and it was kind of peeking out, that typical stance where they peek out and go back and peek out and go back. He said, it dropped to the floor and it crawled out like Fred Splintstone backwards. And obviously I was like, oh, that's exactly the same sentence as that other guy said. So same again, different countries are all describing the same kind of movement, fluid. Lots of people say this fluid yes. movement. It would move through the brush using whatever, it, whether it's two feet or four, to get through there. So they'd be saying, I'm walking on a road and it's moving through down trees and it's keeping up with me. And you think, oh, my Lord. Like, can you imagine that? They must just be like masters of their own environment. But think about it, Sarah. They've been bred for generations to be the fittest thing on Earth. They eat all of the right foods. The all of the natural medicines. They don't sit down and watch TV. <laughs> you know, they're what they're constantly walking. They're always exercising. They are Homo ferus. They're what we should have been the fittest thing on the planet. And some humans are under the impression that they could catch one of them. I know. Absolutely impossible. <laughs> I know. It'll never happen. It's never it going to happen. Never, no. No. They can, you've heard it yourself of them going up trees in seconds. Yes. Or up the side of mountains in slippy mud and slow or, you know, shale up the side of a mountain in seconds. Yep. Walking across ridges. A couple of reports, and you'll have heard them yourself, they were coming down the ridge and normally you, you have to lean back when you're going down the ridge, you know, as humans. Yeah. But there's a number of reports where they talk about something coming down the ridge leaning forward. Right. You would have to have massive abdominal muscles to be able to achieve that. Yeah. But I've heard it in America, I've heard it in England, and I've heard it in Russia as well. So, and I'm sure some of your listeners will say, I've heard that as well. Going downhill, leaning forward is impossible. <laughs> and imagine having but, having the strength to have your limbs splayed outwards mm, and to be yeah. walking on your fingertips and your toes. Imagine mm. the the core strength and chest and and uh, in order to be able to move like that quickly, yeah. um, the 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 strength and the dexterity is out of this world. Like nothing that we could ever hope to achieve. De definitely, we've got um, Fleur footage, and the lady who took it said there was nothing in the woodland around her that she could see with her eyes. But on Fleur, they were moving around. You could see the heat signature and the shape of the humanoid shape oh. moving around within the woodlands. But you couldn't see them. She couldn't see them with a naked eye. Which is just astounding. And then you hear that in other countries as well, though. So it's, you're just thinking, this is, it's kind of backing up. It's like, you think, right, well, that's that. Once, once is a one-off, isn't it? Twice you're thinking, oh, there might be something to do with this. But when you're in the thousands, you're thinking all of these thousands of people, yeah. I thought were the minority, really are not. They're more like it's becoming the majority because you expect ridicule as a witness, as I've said, but it's never really cut in the last 10 years that's gone. So now people say, what do you do, Debbie? And I say, oh, I collect Bigfoot reports and, you know, <laughs> strange phenomena and things like that. Well, it's funny you should say that, but my uncle... Oh, it's funny you should say that. When we were at school, 
and you find that people are really open to it now. Yes, yes, that's it's it is changing. I think slowly but surely. In fact, I watched your last live feed, and I think you were saying on there that you used to have to operate with an avatar and a and a, a an, al- <laughs> an, a, an alias because you couldn't have your real name and your and your face involved in this this subject. Um. <laughs> and, you know, I did Deborah Wildman. I was back then. Yeah, right. Deborah Wildman. That was my name. Yeah, Deborah Wildman. I did everything under that. Um, and I think I was just dead wild when I'm thinking about it. Just scared that people would think I was going to be crackpot and lock me up, you know. Yeah. Just, I don't know, I had it hard when I was a kid because of what I was saying. And people, a lot of people really did take the Michael out of me. Now, now, wherever I go, it doesn't matter wherever I go, somebody will come up to me and say, I know you are. You're that girl off YouTube, aren't you? And I'll say, yeah, yeah, I am. And they'll say, oh, I love what you do. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I really love what you do. Or like they'll say, what the other week some chap said to me, oh, you know, in the local pub, when you're on on a Tuesday, they put you on telly. I said, do they? He went, yeah, the pub goes quiet, we put you on big telly. Oh, I and I thought, oh, oh, that's really strange. Yeah. That's not what I expected. So I've had a massive rush of people coming to me and saying, I saw something. Myself and my business partner, Mick, are working around about 33 cases just in our local area. And that's people coming forward who are happy to go on tape, happy to describe what they saw. Not all cryptids, some are UFOs, some are paranormal, yep. some are missing time events, because we investigate all of all, everything and anything. If you think that your experience wouldn't fit anywhere else, get in touch with me. Because I will find somebody who's had a similar experience to you. I promise you that. It might take me five years, but I promise you I will do that. We had uh, my friend, I'll give you an example. My friend, Karen, we're very, very close. And we've been close since being kids. And she's the only one, really, I've ever talked to about him. She's always had a thing about what you probably call a green man. So like this, he's not a man, he's a tree. I don't know. Group of... um, Guardians of the Galaxy or the Ents from uh, Lord of the Rings. So this being that's half tree, half man. So for all of her life, she's looked for him. And I've always said, jokingly, I said, I'll find him one day. I promise you, I'll find him for you. So I was only last week, this guy messaged me and he said, I'm finally ready to tell you my story. We need to do it now. Just was like, right, that's fine. Let's do it. Let's go. So I messaged him when we had the conversation. And basically, his entire family have lived in the Forest of Dean for generations to come. And wherever they go in the country, they take acorns and they plant them. So I feel that someone's really in tune with nature. is quite used to keep sleeping in the woods with nothing and all of the above. And he said, one night, they're all camping out as normal. And these big, rough kids came in and he's snapping the trees. And it made him really, really mad. He said, and um, I jumped up and I, I was shouting at them. I was really angry. He said, and as I look, there's this being. And it's absolutely ginormous. And it's it's a man. No, it's a tree. But it's a man. But it's a tree. Wow. But it's a man. Debbie, I don't know what it was. It was a man and it was a tree. And it just pointed its finger, you know, as if to say, you little bastards kind of thing. <laughs> and he, as he said to me, he was he, he was made of oak. He was the oak king. And I said to him, well, you're made of oak. Your entire family's made of oak. You've lived there since 12,000 years ago, since the first Brits lived in there. That forest has all been protected by the crown. 
Um, and I phoned my friend and I said, I found him. <laughs> I found your tree, man. And she went, really? And I said, yeah, I have. And I, I just sent, you know, you know yourself, you get the MP3 and then you have to do all your work. I just sent her the unedited version. I was like, there, listen to it. It's tears strolling down her face. She was like, that's him. That is him. And I was like, I know, but I promised you I'd find him. <laughs> How wonderful. I, I actually haven't heard any stories of that here yet. I, in fact, I'll, I'll, I'll put the call out on my show. If anyone has seen a being like that, I would love to hear about it. How fascinating. Did, would you call it a, what are the, is it a, a dryad? But yeah, that, that's, to me, that's what he is, is a yeah. dryad. Yeah. He's the original druid, isn't he? He's a man. Yeah. The oak king, so he's man of the oaks. Um, so I'm trying to explain that to people. He's in our history. He's, he, you know, the 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 he's in our blood. He's always been here in the UK. It's just not something we celebrate. We're not taught about it. It's nothing. We don't get taught anything before the Romans in the UK. Everything's the Romans onwards. <laughs> uh, so, like, we've lost our ceremonies. We've lost everything that we these ceremonies that we would have to to gift and to say like thanks for, for the we've made it through the winter time you know we but the darkest days are over we can celebrate all that's gone all that's been taken from us and i think when you stop respecting something it just it just vanishes and i think when he came forward and shared and i thought i wonder how many other other people out there have seen something like this and if will they get in touch? You know, will will they, somebody reach out to me and tell me? You'd be amazed the reports I get out from people, um, reptilian men that transform into reptilians in front of people, uh-huh. uh, police officers out on a night patrol because somebody's been to the station and reported a werewolf, and you get in touch with uh, Freedom of Information and they say, oh yeah, twelve werewolves were reported in the last ten years. Yeah, did you Why actually do that? Being, <laughs> Yeah, but anyone who wants to see it get in touch with me, I can always back my words up. <laughs> Staffordshire, is, Staffordshire is one of the biggest areas in the UK for werewolf reports. So a chap called Neil Coulter got in touch with the Freedom of Information government and said, I want to know what's been reported in that area to the police. 12 werewolves, honestly, 12 werewolves, 440 wolves, over 15,000 big cats like puma, leopard. We don't have big cats in the UK. And 685 beasts, so whatever they'd seen. And that's in one county, just one small area of the UK <laughs> in a 10-year period. So we don't know what we got reported before that yeah. or what's been reported since. We have to wait again for the freedom of information. Hmm? That is incredible. I'm going to have to start doing that here, I think. I would love to find out because people do report. We get police contacting us sometimes uh sometimes they're still serving members of the police and so yes. we, we we know that they are fully aware that these beings are reported to them and of course they don't admit publicly that they that they know i mean you, you go to the police station and try and report a yowie or or any other kind of cryptid creature and you would get you know laughed at um but yeah but off the record Certainly, police command know about these creatures and take them seriously. Uh, but I, I would love to find out how many actual reports have been made. That would be really interesting. Ask your listeners. Just say to your listeners because there's lots of people out there probably want to help you, Sarah, and don't know how to do it. 
if you're one of those people who's really good at rummaging online, you know, can can they get in touch with freedom of information? I'm not sure how you do it in Australia. That's how it worked for me. Neil Colsey does it on his own. So somebody said to me, have you seen this information that Neil's got and he sent it over across to me? So if I'm stuck on something, I just ask my listeners, I'll say, do any of you guys know how to do this and how to go about it? And if so, could you help us? And, and nine times out of ten, the answer is yeah. <laughs> and they, they enjoy doing it as well. Hmm? That's a great but idea. I will put that out there. Yeah. <laughs> just ask your listeners. Because I, same as you, I have police officers that report. I have people in the army that report. Doctors, lawyers, civil servants. What you would consider to be a plausible witness in court, yep. you will then say, no, I don't believe this man because he, what he's seen, what he's experienced, is not in your remit. Well, if he's, if he's good enough to sit in, a, in court and, and, and decide whether somebody's guilty or not, I'll take his word any day. Yep. If that man's too worried to drive that road again at night because he's frightened, then I'm, I'm taking his word for it because who am I to sit in judgment? My experience is impossible absolutely impossible and I didn't ask for it and here I am all these years later you know who am I to sit in judgment on anybody that's right that's right and I know I've I've found uh when I started doing this podcast well, it was originally a, a, a local community radio show but it's it's turned into a, 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 a growing podcast I I found that so many of the paranormal experiences that that people are having out there are often connected with yaoi experiences so i go into other cryptid creatures and ufos and aliens and, yes. and ghosts and um psychics and orbs and all that sort of stuff i've i've noticed that a lot of us around the world do do the same thing and you do the same thing too yes. you investigate all sorts of weird things because they seem yeah. to be connected sometimes don't they well, I applaud you for that because in the UK and across the world, there's not a lot of people that put, I don't know what name you want to give them, genres, alternative subjects, in the same place. So you'll get a UFO conference or there'll be a paranormal conference or a Bigfoot conference. And that's it. And I think nine times out of ten when you say to the witnesses, have you ever experienced anything else in your life, Strange? They'll say they've had a paranormal experience, they've had a, you know experience with a UFO. Certain people, I think, can tune in to areas and can almost act like a catalyst. So 10 people can go in a wood and nothing. A certain person will go in and there will be activity. And I don't understand what it is about it, but that happens. So you get people, as you say, that have had numerous types of, the word I can never say, phenomena. <laughs> phenomena. <laughs> yeah, but various types. So you'll And, and you'll find that they'll... When was the first time it happened? I was about four or five. I was a little kid. Or, you know, I was six or seven. I was a little kid. And things have kind of happened all my life. Well, some other people will say, well, nothing happened really till I was in my 30s or my 40s. It's different for everyone. The, the path's a long path. But I do, I do. I think people, we need to be mixing the subjects. Yeah. Because even if you've not seen or experienced the same thing, you understand the th the fear and you understand the questions because you'll have them yourself. A UFO witness will invariably ask, why me? As does every cryptic witness I ever interview, why me? Mm. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why you, 
But this, we can't do anything to change that, can we? Have you ever experienced anything else? And then the stories come out, and invariably you get the story. So the guy I was telling you about, about the Oak King, I said to him, "Is it? Does it? You do know it runs in families, don't you?" And he said, oh, "That makes sense. My dad's a warlock." Oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we go. Right. just your casually. Do it. <laughs> yeah, so you're definitely a man of the Oak. That's yeah. how it happens. Sometimes I've known people for ten years, and then they've suddenly told me this, and I say, "You've never told me that." Well, I thought it was only interesting, but for, no, <laughs> I want to know all of the flavors of the pies. Yes. And then I'll choose which one's my favourite. <laughs> you know, right. I hope I am still doing this when I'm in my eighties. If I'm lucky enough to make it to my eighties, I hope I'm still doing this because every day when I get up in the morning, I have a, an amazing day. Like today, I'm talking to you in Australia. This morning, I was talking on Russian TV about eight o'clock in the morning. Right. And then on this, and then this afternoon, I was talking to a guy in Canada. And I'm just a little housewife in the northwest of England. <laughs> no, I'm not a big YouTube channel or anything like that. But it's it's brought me a thousand friends is the only way I can put it, really. Yes. I know I'm in a really lucky position and I'm blessed. But I'm going to share that with everybody else. Yeah. You know, it's there. I've got the contacts. I can put people in touch with each other. So... It doesn't, you know, it takes 10 seconds out of my day. I do that all day long if it, people get a benefit out of it. You know what I mean? If they feel like, oh, thanks for that, Deb. Right, we'll just pass it on. Do you want me to pay you? No. You just pass it on to someone else. When someone comes to you and they're really upset about something or they're worried about something, just sit and give them an ear and then give them me email and I'll have a chat with them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't It doesn't take much also to to comfort people, does it? Because uh, a lot of the no. time they need a bit of they need a they need a bit of comfort after being t- so terrified. Exactly that. If if they'd seen if they'd seen a ghost or they'd seen a UFO, I think people are more accepting of that. I think they're like, oh, well, that's understandable. There's still the ridicule out there, but not as bad as it was. But if you've seen a cryptid or something that you can't describe, like that invisible thing, or you've suffered missing time, you can't really sit in the pub and talk to your mates about it or. No. talk to the chap at work about you really can't do how do you raise that kind of subject well you want to raise it like you said in a place that's really safe to do so where you're understood and and people are upset accepting i don't accept I ask people to accept everything nothing wrong with a, a skeptic i, I think we, they need it you know but I think even sceptics will say, do you know, Dev, until I sat down and spoke to him, I didn't believe a word of it. But now, after watching him, I'm absolutely convinced. And I say, I see that every day. Yeah. I see ordinary people that see extraordinary things, struggle to explain it. And what puzzles me is, I want to know all of those details. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, you know, push them to one side because it doesn't fit me remit. Their, their truth is just as important as mine or yours, isn't it? Absolutely. And we're blessed, me and you. Yeah. People come to me and you with confidence that we're going to keep what they tell us to ourselves. Because I know 100% that not everyone who comes to you ends up on the show. Some people talk to you in private, don't they? Of course, yes, yes. Some so people just people don't don't, don't, see, yeah, don't want to be don't want to be they don't they don't want their voice recognised they it's yes. too much at stake to be recognised. We do far more behind the scenes than people realise. Yes. We hold a lot of people's secrets, so we, we I just think we're very very blessed in what we do. And I don't know. I think we're really lucky as well because 
to be trusted like that with some someone's most frightening experience. And we're not professionals, are we? We're not counsellors. We're not trained in any way, shape or form. But we listen yeah. to what we, they have to say. And we say, well, I believe you. I understand. I know somebody that's been through something similar. When you're ready and you want to talk to them, let me know. And I'll put you in touch with them. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually a, a social worker. So I have I do have the, the, uh-huh. the training in... in mental health first aid and psych first aid and trauma. Mm. So I did what was what was really cool. I found that those skills that I had from my, yes. my last career, uh, my last, you know, um, as a social worker for, for mm. eight, nine years, um, all of those skills were, were transfer into into this realm, which is which is really cool. I, I've, I found them very useful. Yeah, very useful. I think similar for me, mine was... Um not my job, but I was absolutely obsessed with maps and mapping and, and mapping this and mapping that and trying to work out where Jack the Ripper lived because oh. I mapped everyone as victims. Well, I got it right. I got it down to four streets. And I think, you know, years and years later, they did it on the TV. And I said to my husband, see, I told you. I told you. <laughs> I was right. <laughs> because people, people have habits, don't they? It's just called, now it's called geographical profiling. Yes. But that was my my obsession before I saw him. So I was able to use that, bring that skill set in. And I say to people all the time, oh, they say, oh, I can't podcast like you. And I say, yeah, but we all have different skill sets, don't we? You're really good at photography. Or, you know, you're really good at, regardless, hunting this, that and the other. And I can't do that. But you can use that skill set to investigate. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to add before we wrap up? What I'd like to say is... If somebody's interested in becoming an investigator or just being part of the community themselves, regardless of where they are in the world, if they could get in touch with you, you've got my email, yeah. or they can get in touch with me, and I can put them in touch with other people, or we can just have a general conversation. I would love to do that because I don't have many contacts in Australia, and I know witnesses that are out there that would like to speak to somebody. And I think you're the ideal person for that, Sarah. Yeah. So from now on, I will obviously point them in your direction. And I've got a few people that I think would work really well on your podcast and your listeners will enjoy them. So Great. I'll send them off. So just really to people, just if you hear a really, really strange story, just give five minutes thought to it and think, you know, that could be me. I could be the next person driving down that road and something walks out in front of the car because they're going to be future witnesses. Yes. And you possibly might be one. Exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. Well, Deb, thank you so much for spending the time to have such a fascinating conversation with me. I, I feel like I could talk to you for hours about this, but we'll have to, we'll have to schedule another chat in sometime in the future and, and have another chat about some of your adventures because you've got so much going on. I swear, I really have, haven't I? But, yeah, I'd love that. If you need me to come back on, Sarah, this time is fine for me. I'm normally up and awake at this time anyway, so you just let me know. But as I say, I'm going to pass your email on to a couple of people. So if you get strange emails from people across the world, (laughs) it's me you sent them. (laughs) (laughs) That's totally fine. That's totally fine. And if I do get contacted by anybody from the UK, I will put them in touch with you too or anyone else who might want to to, uh, report and be part of your incredible database of research. 
if I send, can I send you some links across? Because we have lots of free sites. We have like free Facebook. We have free Twitter. And it's just where we share everything for free so people can see it. And it's a way for them to get into the community. Yes. So if I could send you a couple of links that you could add into the description, that would be wonderful. And that was Deborah Hatswell of Being Believed Research. Isn't she awesome? Her email, again, if you want to get in touch with her, is Debbie Hatswell, D-E-B-B-I-E, Hatswell, H-A-T-S-W-E-L-L, at gmail.com. Remember, if you've seen a yowie or had an unusual experience that you'd like to get off your chest and share with the Yowie Central listeners. I am always taking submissions and I dearly love hearing from you. So please get in touch with me via yowiecentral at gmail.com or via the Yowie Central Facebook group. Well, that's it for this week, folks. Yowie Central will be back next Wednesday. I'll catch you next week. Stay safe. Out in the cold, out in the dark, something's lurking at the edge of the park. People be warned, people beware, there's a storm on the rise and it's covered in hair. Hear him cry, hear him howl, looking for someone to disembowel. Claws like a hook, eyes like coal, feet so big they're gonna crush your soul. They call him Sasquatch. of your diamond ring your fancy jacket won't be worth a dime when you're sucking the blood right out of your spine Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.